0: Tom Morello, and welcome to Maximum Firepower. Today, my guest is the Perry Farrell. In my opinion, Jane's Addiction are the sex pistols of the alternative nation, a band with a small, brilliant catalog of songs and a shocking, groundbreaking ethos that launched an entire era of music. When I first heard a bootleg cassette of Jane's music, it blew my mind and jolted the axis of my understanding of rock and roll. I'd never heard anything like it. It was like a punk rock Led Zeppelin. Jane's provided all the testosterone-fueled guitar riffage that my suburban upbringing demanded, but mixed it with gorgeous acoustic songs and an underground artistry that was completely original and spellbinding. Savage, but beautiful. Riff-heavy, but smart. Jane's didn't look or sound like any other band in the history of rock and roll. I snuck into a Jane's Addiction rehearsal once, sitting on some nasty carpet in the corner. I'd been to a lot of rock shows, been to a lot of rehearsals, But I never felt anything like that. It was like grabbing a live power line with a million volts coursing through it. They started a mosh pit in my mind that's still spinning to this day. I vowed that one day I wanted to be in a band that felt like that. Jane's Addiction are quintessentially a Los Angeles band. Their brilliance is rooted in the fact that their poetry and power reflect the city in which they were formed. You can hear the violence, the drugs, the beauty, the ocean, the ambition, the smoggy haze, the fear, hope, and redemptive power of L.A. in Jane's music. And while, like all the best bands, Jane's Addiction are greater than the sum of their parts, each member of the band is extraordinary in his own right. Stephen Perkins' tribal whirlwind of drumming propelled Jane's music into directions other bands could only dream of, creating cathedrals of sound like Three Days and the punk fury of Ain't No Right. Dave Navarro's shirtless power riffing and wild astral solos gave metalheads like myself a reason to love the band and challenged indie rock snobs to deal with the presence of an undeniably great rock guitarist in an underground band. Eric Avery's murderously heavy bass grooves form the backbone of some of the most badass riffs on record. Mountain Song, Ben Caught Stealing, Had a Dad. Chris Chaney continues that tradition of excellence. And Perry Farrell is unlike any other frontman, singer, or lyricist in the history of rock. Perry's voice, sometimes vulnerable and childlike, sometimes bone-chillingly urgent, pulled gorgeous, twisted melodies out of thin air. The romance of classic girl, the Patty Smith-esque freestyle of Pigs and Zen. Perry presided as the furious Santeria shaman over Jane's legendary live shows as the band destroyed venues around the world and were a beacon to weirdos and outsiders who also happened to want to rock. In Jane's first MTV interview, Kurt Loder asked the band what advice they had for the youth of America. Leave home as quick as you can. Don't listen to your parents and make up your own mind, was Perry's reply. That philosophy single-handedly forged the Lollapalooza nation, smashing barriers between genres and bringing the fringe into the mainstream permanently. The Lollapalooza tours allowed rockers and rappers to share the same stage for the first time and broaden the listening palette of the country for good. Every multi-genre festival you ever attended owes a significant debt to the vision of Perry Farrell and his band. Many years ago at the Roxy, I stood next to Flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses watching a band. Smoke billowed and the crowd seethed in a religious ecstasy as the music reached a roaring crescendo. The singer howled, I want to be more like the ocean. No talking and all action. Flea pointed towards the stage and yelled over the din, These guys are the best fucking band to ever come out of Los Angeles. Duff and I nodded. That band was Juanus Addiction. Hmm. And this fella is Perry Farrell. Perry, thanks so much for being on my show.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Tom. That was (laughs) unbelievable, man. I want to remind
0: you the first time that we met. We did not meet that day where I was on the carpet. You were rehearsing off of Melrose on that day when I was sitting on the carpet there. We didn't meet that day. Um, But we did meet. You were friends with Brian Grillo, who was the singer of my band Lockup at the time. And for your 1988 New Year, either 87 or 88 New Year's concert in Los Angeles, you asked my band Lockup to impersonate Jane's Addiction. And so we came on stage. I had a Dave Navarro wig. I looked more like the waitress from that 70s TV show Alice Flow than I did like Dave. But I had a Dave Navarro wig on. Brian had his his hair in some dreads. And we came out and played a not entirely convincing version of Pigs and Zen. But I remember feeling like. There are bands that people like, there are bands that people love, and then there are bands that people believe in. And, like, the adrenaline, like, sort of religious fervor that I felt was really that electric shock on stage. It wasn't for me. I was an imposter on that stage. But do you remember that night and, like, the imposters that came on before you?
1: Sure. Yeah, I thought, you know, look at this Halloween. I just had this bizarre notion in my mind that I wanted to watch the look in people's eyes because, for the most part, people don't know what the fuck. They follow each other. They hope they don't get beat up. They like to follow the crowd, man. You know, follow the crowd, where they're going. They must be going somewhere, you know? That's mm-hmm. what they figure, right? So I thought, it's Halloween. I want to see how far I could uh, go with a moment in time with people that are not us, and I want to see the reaction, you know, um, I thought it was funny as hell to watch these girls in the audience trying to wriggle and get the guy's attention. You know how they do it, like, you know, oh, there they are, and, you know, oh, they're watching us, but they're kind of like, you I, know, I hoping actually that don't somebody know, because in the
0: because, band... Be- He's like, Rage Against the Machine only had male fans for the most part. So I don't really know what that <laughs> right. was like. And then the, the, the Mosh pit was so hyper-testosterone violent at the front. We never got... But anyway, well, go on with your story. Your experience was and, somewhat of a different and I, one. And yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Tom, it gets to the point where, like, there's a certain amount of girls that are on Dave's side. And there's a certain amount, like, the crowd that's in front of me looks different than the crowd that, that hangs out on Dave's side. And, yeah, you know, yeah, all yeah. over the place. So I just had the best time watching. Please forgive me, ladies, if you think this is cruel, but watching at first them trying to lure the band members to look at them, you know, and doing their thing, right? Ooh, look at me. But then, like, then something's going wrong because they're looking, they're looking a little closer. They've never seen us before live, you know, and they're like, "Is that's them?
0: And then <laughs> they're expecting more sort of Brett Michaels vibe and instead they're getting some yeah, New York yeah, dolls we... like some sort of Yeah, 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 yeah so you know like, and, That and, guy uh, is that a guy? What's happening up there? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Right. So yeah. I let it go for a while and then yeah, I did feel this is cruel. This is cruel. So we came from the back of the room and uh got onto the stage before things got ugly, you yeah. know, because people were starting to go like, wait a minute, you know, wait a minute, wait, hold on there, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, I will never forget that moment. And um, I'll tell you, man, you and I, it's been a pretty good ride for us. You know, we Absol- we took absolutely. the long road, uh, yeah. but that long road, man, you get to see things, you get to experience things, things like what we just talked about, if you're in a pop group, you don't do shit like that. No, you Manager don't. Manager would never let you do that, you know. You only yeah. get to do that. Yeah. You're in the underground in L.A., but, and, you know, we but can I mean, do
0: whatever even, the fuck we want. Even, even something like that, I mean, it really speaks to, like, your life is one that is lived as an artist. You know what I mean? And that that's something that is, like, there are some people's lives that are they're musicians or they're business people who play music. But your life from inviting the imposters on stage and always standing up for the artists as well, another early experience we had you were a tremendous advocate for Rage Against the Machine. And I remember both professionally where you invited us as a completely unknown band to first play the side stage uh, at Lollapalooza in 1992 and then to open up the 1993 Lollapalooza tour on the main stage, you know, with our record had j- just come out and we had sold about like seven copies of it. You know, when people are filing into these big... Amphitheaters, you know, with their hot dog and their beers, and their rage against, them, you know, to the, like, like losing our minds, and it really was our introduction to the country. But what I remember most is there was an early raid show at Club Lingerie, and it was the height of like Nirvana was blowing up and Pearl Jam was blowing up, and alternative music was a thing that was had gotten the attention of the music industry in a major way. Where I, th- I think up until that point there had really been this feeling that. We get a band, we sign a band, we polish a band, we get some songwriters in. But then with the ascent of Jane's and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Nirvana, I think that they had a realization that we don't know what's best. We don't know what's best. We know that there's a thing that's happening, and it was happening that night on stage at Club Lingerie. So we're backstage, and you come back, and there's this gang of Agents and manage, and everyone's trying to to vulture down on the band. And you, who, you know, were the time we're like the high priest of Lollapalooza, you just came in and told them to get the fuck out of there. You're like, leave these guys alone. They just played a great fucking show. Get off them. And I was like, that is so awesome. Because, like, the part of the intuition of a neophyte who you know wants to, <laughs> to do well and have a record is like okay well i guess now it's time to talk to these people and you're like no you just played a great show you should relax and enjoy a beer with me kudos yeah, to you for I, that moment i know yeah.
1: i know what they're up for you know each guy they're gonna kiss your ass they would have sucked your dick they would have done anything to get you guys you know i just wanted you guys to end up with people that you could get along with that you know like you saw eye to eye with that yeah. had deeper things in mind yeah. and this was just the wrong time for these you call them vultures I used to love to mercilessly pick on them
0: yes when we you did and it, was, it was <laughs> it was so it was just so helpful in that stage because you know like we had the riffs and the songs and the passion down but all of a sudden we were being like sort of Like, our Titanic was running into the iceberg of the music industry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm Tom Morello. This is Maximum Firepower. I'm here with my good friend Perry Farrell, the Lollapalooza shaman and frontman of Jane's Addiction. Perry is a person who's had tremendously unique vision musically, artistically, and personally. You know, from a song like Jane's Addiction's Just Because, which is about... Doing good deeds or extending yourself, extending friendship for no reason other than just because has manifested itself in my life with Perry. We were on tour uh, one year on Lollapalooza and, you know, Perry is always resplendently dressed and I'm kind of like a schlub backstage. And Perry came up to me. He had gone out shopping that day and had bought me an outfit. Like a, a handsome summer outfit. And he just, he gave it to me just because. I mean, one, he was, may have been embarrassed by my, like the pink shorts I was wearing backstage. Who knows? But it was, but it was also, it was a real just because moment that uh, I very much appreciate. Something I wanted to talk to you about is the, the idea of chemistry versus purity. When you're in a rock and roll band, when the band is great, it is great because it is greater than the sum of its parts. There's a chemistry when people play together that is very, very unique. And if you change one ingredient, it changes the whole thing. And so you're able to have, you know, whether it's Led Zeppelin or The Clash or The Ramones or whatever, like very, very unique and irreplaceable because of the chemistry. The other hand, it was with a solo career where you get a purity of vision, you get an uncut version of someone's artistic vision. That might be a Bob Dylan or a Bruce Springsteen, something like that. Now you and I both have been in bands and you and I both have had very active solo careers. So what are your thoughts about sort of the pros and cons of each of those band chemistry versus purity of solo vision?
1: So I would tell you, uh, if you're a young musician and I was your professor, start jamming with, you know, all, all the guys in your neighborhood that have equipment, and um, if there's going to be a Friday night. You guys get together at somebody's house. They have a garage. Bring your small equipment. You don't want the cops to show up too early because once they come, that they're paying <laughs> the ass. That's it. The show's over. So this is all very sound keep,
0: advice, by the way, people. Very you know, yeah, advice.
1: you know. But this is what I tell my son. I mean, if this is conversations that I'm having right now on a daily basis. Because he's telling me, yeah, you know, so and so gives me shit all the time. He's always trying to tell me what to play, you know, and I don't, and it's making me not want to play. I said, "Hezron, listen, I'm going to tell you the honest truth. Not because I'm your dad. I dig you, man. I dig, I dig where you're coming from musically. I listen to you. I like your bass line so much. I started singing, and I show him. I, I wrote a song for it. I hope you don't mind, but here it is, and here's the lyrics." I show them how I write. Something gets in my mind. It almost like takes over my being. I start to have this uh, line of communication with self. And it's beautiful and it can go deep. And once it starts, it takes on its own life. It's like there's a second creature that is uh, a spirit guide. You might have unlocked your spirit guide, but nonetheless, it's rare when a man is a musician so I tell him my first band my bass player hated me he quit because he couldn't take me he hated me he didn't want to play in my band I was obnoxious to him but if I would have just left it at that but I but I couldn't I just wanted to keep on writing I want to keep on making music so this guy if he gets on you and he's telling you what to play and you don't like what he's telling you to play Go on to the next friend. There's other kids in the town. You have time now. I'm going to be honest with you, Tom. I tell my son, look to put a band together. There's, there, there will be no feeling better than that feeling of mm-hmm. those four guys. Each one of them, they have a role to play in that song. And they gave it to you, you know, and they did it as a unit. And it's like being on a championship sports team
0: yes yes it's, it's yeah.
1: that powerful too but there's also individual sport i love uh, mountain biking and surfing and and snowboarding skateboarding there's individual sport where you can still get a rush in musical terms it's the same thing so i tell my son you know that guy he's going to be a pain in your ass and you're probably going to be best friends for ever Because he's one of the first kids that you guys sat down and worked on making music together. And the songs are going to get better, but it's a different world. Don't give up on the idea of recording your own music Mm -hmm. because there's going to be time for it. As long as you have something to say, a story to tell, and it's in your heart, and you now have this magic of being able to tell this story musically. I mean, the world needs it. Imagine, you know, Hezron was saying to me, he goes, yeah, but there's less and less legends. There's less and less bands, people that could get up there. We listen to bands every morning, like, wow, you know, but there's less and less of them. And I said, well, you know, that's why God sent you. That's why God sent your your generation of people. Mm-hmm. Well, I need to hear your stories. I know I got mad at him because I wouldn't... He went and ran away from home about three, four nights ago. And I got pissed off. And I'm saying it's COVID and there's crazy motherfuckers out there. And you guys are all minority kids. Who knows what the fuck could happen? I go, you know, you can't wait a few more months. But no, they couldn't. I said just make sure that you write some good music then. You're yeah. gonna do that. You better fucking come home. Yeah. I wanna hear some riffs. I wanna yeah. hear some good stories. I'm working on music with him because I like some of his songs that much. So I think you can do it all. And I think the young people should do it all. Being in a band can also be suffocating. I know the feeling of like, I don't wanna to have to ask your opinion on how. I should play this. I don't want to get into a fight or an argument over how many times you had shot in a video. That stuff to me is is so small-minded. These days, there's so much to talk about, so many interesting things that go even way outside of music. But it also, the way we're being able to record and uh, what we can do with the synthesizer, and uh binaural sounds, Atmos surround sound. I want to put together parties now, but I want the parties to be different than Jane's Addiction. I want to put together all new concept on, on social gathering, adult entertainment. You know, the music can immediately soothe the savage beast and bring people together and nothing can make a person happier. Mm-hmm. We need good music, and we need more. You know, I love what I see happening on the internet with people like you, and, and you're speaking with Chuck the other day, was wonderful. I even spoke with Mayor Lightfoot. You know, we've got a a tough time right now. You know, our leader's an old man, but I, I handed it to him. He's a tough motherfucker, and uh, I'm really proud of him, and I admire him. I want to be a man like him. If I'm in my 80s and I still have enough to say, hey, I'll bring this country back around. I'll do whatever I have to do. I know how to do it. I've got an idea. We need to, just like in music and what you're talking about, there's bands. You get together, you write great songs with great band members. We have to do the same thing in this country with everything. When it comes to fossil fuel, we have to have better ideas. We need almost like a team. They don't have to be politicians elected. Yeah, and, you know, I mean one,
0: one of the things that you've always done, Perry, which which I thought was admirable, from the earliest Lollapalooza tours, it, it introduced the concept of you would have this fairway, and yes, you could get your nose pierced there, yes, you could get your hair dreaded there, but there were also like political booths as well. You had at the time, my mom ran an organization called Parents for Rock and Rap, which was like the anti anti-censorship organization and so she had a booth at the Chicago one but there was an interesting I remember the the tour that we were on that you had some organization I'm not sure was the NRA but it was like it was a pro-gun organization and then a gun control organization both on the same fairway and you explained it you explained it. I thought very eloquently in time he said if I put a man of peace and a man of war and you have conversations with both of them you'll be able to make the right choice I just thought that that was like a you know a very sort of broad-minded way of curating not just the music of the event, which was broad, but also the entire experience, which was great too. But one other, you are someone that, and I've done hundreds of charity and activist shows through the years, but whenever I've asked Perry Farrell to do one, he says yes, if he's available to do it. I don't know if you remember, in post-Katrina, we were on a thing called the Justice Tour, and you and your lovely wife, Etty came down, and we were spending a, a day cleaning out homes that had been Ravaged by Katrina, and there, and per, Perry Farrell is is a resplendent dresser. On a, you know, on a, on a Tuesday <laughs> afternoon, Perry looks great. You know what I'm saying? And so you had these like kind of like nice tan slacks and beautiful brown shoes, and you know, and Etty had a little dress on and heels. And we're in the ninth ward in New Orleans, and you were literally standing in a dumpster as we were handing you like these broken wood, you know, this red ant infested wood. But I got to say, you've just always been supportive of my band, supportive of the causes that I've gotten behind, and a real mensch in that you will get when you're nice slats, <laughs> you will get in a brother. dumpster to help some people in New Orleans <laughs> yeah. who need it.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. You know what? The way I look at it is in Hebrew it's called mitzvah. So blessing people, it's like the height of of being blessed is is getting a chance in life to bless others. And I was happily blessing those musicians they were older legends yeah, these, these legends. Just, just
0: people they were new orleans musicians who had lost everything in katrina and so we were in going katrina. to help clean out their yeah. houses and help I'm, buy them yeah. new instruments yeah and like and a, a
1: vw a, a vw car would washed into this one man's backyard this big gr- rolling running around you know and um And I remember, uh, too, our brother Wayne Kramer is one of the badass, political, hard-driving Detroit White Panthers. So this man does not fuck around.
0: No, he does not.
1: He he was diversified. Now he works. You know, he he spent uh, a few years in prison, came out. For all of you uh, who don't know... um, kick out the jams
0: yeah he's the guitarist of the mc5 the legendary mc5 who sort of invented punk rock music yeah
1: he was living with iggy pop and that whole collective all had the same managers and girlfriends you know what i mean like they were badass white brothers and um why am i telling you all this because he can wield a chainsaw yeah he had a chainsaw, had a chainsaw. And, I, and I was looking at him, you're looking at my resplendent clothes and I was looking at his fragile and, and elegant fingers that he used to play all those years thinking to myself, man, that dude, he's the real deal. He, he yeah. could have, yeah. he could have, he could have sliced his fingers off and that would have been that for him. Yeah. But yeah. But he got in there, he got in there in that dumpster with me. <laughs> and and it was one of the best times in my life. I will we'll never forget it.
0: All right, thank you very much, dear friend Perry Farrell. Always a pleasure talking all things with you. Uh, this has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I am Tom Morello, and until next time, take it easy, but take it. <laughs> Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again. Or listen to past shows right now. On the SiriusXM
1: app. Search Maximum Firepower.